right. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're looking at a message entitled, The Book. The Book. Everyone say, The Book. That is a phrase you are going to hear over and over and over and over again today. And it is because the book is the theme of what we're reading in the word today. Last week, uh, last time together, we were in Nehemiah 7. And remember, we talked about that transition that has been taking place within our book. The wall is built. He's done building the wall. And Nehemiah shifts focus is on beginning to restore the people of God. And we took that moment of, of zeroing, zeroing in on someone specific, Hananiah, right? And we looked at uh, how Nehemiah basically began to appoint different leaders. Uh, Deegan, are you, guys, are you guys good? Okay, are you sure? Do we need a leader to come sit next to you guys? No? Oh, gotcha, for sure. Cool. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. So they begin to appoint leaders and musicians, and they appoint um, these different people. Last week, we talked about faithfulness, and that was one of his chief reasons in picking Hananiah to be placed over Jerusalem. And so the next order of business is to kind of get all the people together and begin to restore the spiritual condition of the people. Now, what we're going to see today that in order to effectively do this, they had to go to the book. All right, God was involved in the rebuilding of the walls. But in order for God to be involved in the restoring of the people, they must bring out the book. And so we're going to find today that it would only be by the word of God for any restoration to take place in the lives of the people. And we're going to see today how for us in our own lives, the only way for us to be restored, the only way for us to be put on track with our lives is by the word of God. God has prepared a track, a path for us to live and to walk down. But the only way we're going to be able to do that and know where and what to do is by the book. And so today, uh, within the junior high ministry, we're actually going to start something new here. Uh, we all like new things. Uh, some, some of us maybe don't like change, but this is a good change. Uh, and this is something that is based upon our reading today and something that we're going to begin to adopt as we open the word of God. Uh, when we now, from now on, read God's word together in the beginning of a study, we're going to stand all together as we read it. Uh, the reason is not out of respect for a man, but out of respect for the God of the book, the God of the Bible, and respect for the Lord. If you guys have been in the main sanctuary anytime recently, uh, you'll know that this is something that Pastor Jack does. Uh, now, he does responsive reading, where uh, he actually reads uh, a verse, and then the, the congregation reads a verse and they go back and forth. We're not going to be doing that as of now. Uh, but what we are is, is we're going to stand as we read God's word. And that's out of a reverence and respect for the word of God. And we're going to see where that takes place in our passage today. So if you guys want to stand with me, uh, everyone, Nehemiah chapter 8. If you uh, don't have your Bible, uh, it won't be on the screen, and so you can share with a neighbor, and then make sure next week that you have a Bible of your own. So 
So Nehemiah chapter 8, no one should be talking, right? We're standing out of reverence, and so it's not not chit-chat time. And we're going to read starting in verse 1, okay? So you're going to follow along, and then I'm going to read out loud. Sounds good? And then we'll pray, and then you guys can be seated. I'm not going to make you stand the whole, whole study, all right? The Bible says this. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the Lord before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse four. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood a handful of names that I'm not about to try to pronounce. And at his left hand, Another set of names I'm not going to try to pronounce in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, another set of names. Uh, And the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. God, we come before you as we uh, open the book, The, the book that you've given us, the Bible, scripture. God, we pray that as we look at Nehemiah chapter 8, as you sought to uh, bring the people back to obedience to what you told them to do, Lord, if there's any areas in our life, Lord, that are, are away from you, are not under the obedience of what you've asked us, Lord, would you, by your word, bring us to a place Lord, that we would experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, And we pray that you would do this in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we kind of break this up into some different parts, you can note down first that the people understood the book. Uh, The people understood the book. We find this in verses 1 through 3. We find understanding of the book, all right? And that's what we kind of just read. Now, I want you to look within this entire chapter, not just verses one through eight, but the entire chapter of Nehemiah chapter eight, and the first person to tell me how many times the word understand is written will receive an airhead's extreme rainbow berry, all right? So you guys can look in your Bibles, chapter eight, 
How many times does the word understand or understanding, some version of that word, appear? No, you were here last service. You cannot be here last service and answer. Neither, Sean, did you tell him? No? You, you looked? Did you, you, find, you found them in the word? Yeah, God's watching. 100%? Sean didn't tell you? Okay, I'm impressed. Very good. That was very quick. Oh, there you go. It was six times the word understand appears. Um, understand, that is a central theme of this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, okay? And I don't think it's by coincidence. It's not uh, random, but understanding is the starting point in any kind of relationship with the Lord. You might want to note that down. Understanding is the starting point. And so we see in this chapter that the people gather together. Look there in verse 1, and we'll go through it. Verse 1, we're told that they gathered together as one man. Uh, no, it's not that they got like on top of each other and formed the shape of a giant man, uh, but it's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech showing us that they gathered together in unity, meaning that they went to the same place for the same reasons with the same motives, and that was to seek the Lord in his word. We're told here in verse 1 that they did this in an in, a, in the public or open square, meaning that it was a public place. It wasn't private. It was a place that anyone was able to come. And we're told that they did this in front of the water gate. Now, the people gather together. They're in a public place. They're there for the same reasons they want to seek the Lord. And so step number one, they ask Ezra, who was the priest and the scribe, to bring out the book. Everyone say the book. They look to Ezra and Ezra brings out, uh, it really wouldn't have been a book, it would have been a scroll, but uh, for the sake of our time, we're not going to say scroll, we're going to say book because that's what we got now, right? And so he would have brought out what it would have been the law of Moses, the divine instruction for what the people of Israel were to do. And Ezra was the man for the job. In the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, we're told that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes, ordinances in Israel. Translation, Ezra sought to practice what he preached. He not only desired to study God's word, but to do God's word and then to teach God's word. And so Ezra was the man for the job. Uh, but we're also given the timing here, not just the location publicly at the open square uh, by the water gate. Uh, Ezra was the man. But look there in verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that this basically conference, this gathering took place on the first day of the seventh month. Now, for us, uh, 2,000 years, uh, we're more like three, uh, 2,500 years removed from this story, doesn't mean too much to us. We're like, okay, July 1st? Like, what, what is the first day of the seventh month? Well, in the, in the calendar that the Jews abided by, the seventh month was a big deal. This is when three major feasts would happen. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of 
Uh, what is it? Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. The first day of this seventh month, you can note it down, would have been equivalent to like a New Year's Day. This would have been the perfect day to get right before the Lord with the feasts that were upcoming, uh, with the newness of the year. This was equivalent to a New Year's Day. And so we, we see here that Ezra proceeded to not just bring out the book, but to open the book. And we're told that he begins to read from the word of God from morning until midday. This is approximately six hours he would have been reading from the word of God. And some of you think that my Bible studies are long. Uh, for six hours he is, he is reading. I'm sure there were some, some breaks in between, but from morning until midday that they were teaching, that they were reading the word of God. But notice that, they, that the people, look at verse three, they weren't slouched in their chairs. Uh, they weren't looking at the time, uh, thinking about where uh, they were going to go to lunch. They were hanging on every word. Look there in verse three. And notice the word attentive. It says that the people were attentive to the reading from the book. This is the word that they were listening carefully, hanging on to every word that was spoken. Now, as he was reading, look at verse four and five, we're told that Ezra stood on a platform of wood, which was made for that very purpose, that that in anticipation for what was going to take place, they constructed this platform and really this pulpit for Ezra to teach from. Now, this is significant because it shows us that there was an importance placed upon what was going on, upon, upon what was taking place. That when Ezra was reading, he was somewhere that was elevated. He was somewhere that was central and there was something constructed for that very purpose, a, a pulpit, if you will. Now, this is important because they placed significance upon the reading of God's word. And this was all going to go into the conclusion of what we're looking at today. They, they put so much importance upon it that not only did they have uh, it elevated, not because Ezra was someone of importance, but because what was being read was something of importance. And so not only do they elevate Ezra as he's reading, but what they also do is that as they begin to read, as Ezra begins to read, the people all stand. Uh, and they do this out of respect for the Lord. Kind of like as someone would do when, if someone of high status were to walk into the room, say the president. Now, some of you might say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand for the president now. Uh, yes, you would. At least you should. Because the president is not about the person. It is about the position. That people don't stand because of the person who is in the office, but the, but the position that the office is. And so whether it's, it's someone we like or don't like, that there is this, at least sit, there should be this patriotic obligation to stand when someone like that walks into the room. Or when in the old movies, men would stand to their feet when a woman would walk into the room out of respect. Now, or in a wedding ceremony that maybe some of you have been to or at least seen on TV, when the bride comes down, right, they, they, the, 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 
the crowd stands and they all turn back and watch. It's because of who and what is happening in that moment. Or say when a judge enters a courtroom and right, they say, all rise for the honorable so-and-so. Uh, it's out of respect whether they like the judge or not. They are to stand to their feet because of what is taking place. Or say even in the military, when an officer of higher status, whether you like him or not, you better stand to your feet or you're not going to have a very fun day. You see, this is why we're going to begin to adopt this into our reading of the word. Because it is of the utmost importance for you and I to give a proper place to the word. Not because there's something magical about the material of this book, right? It's not glowing. It's not going to fly around the room and, right, and sprinkle pixie dust on you. There's something magical about these pages. But there's this respect for the content because of the author who wrote it. Right? That's why I think it's so important for us to, to be mindful of even our own personal Bibles, uh, to not just throw them in, in your mom's van, not just to, when you get home, right, right chuck it on your, your uh, w- dresser or whatever it might be and just leave it there and it gathers dust and its, and its pages are all messed up, right? That, that it's not that, oh, like if you treat the Bible wrong, like you're gonna get struck with lightning. No, but it's this idea that we show respect for the word of God. That's why for you guys, when, when the word of God is being preached or read or taught, that, that we encourage and we have a high status making sure that you guys aren't goofing off. It's not because, for me, it's because we want to teach you that there is nothing more important happening right now than the teaching of God's word. And that's going to be the same as you get into high school, as you get into the main sanctuary. And, and the people had this respect for the word of God. And this all plays into what we're going to look at is their understanding. Now we see that, look at verse 6, that after the reading of the book, that Ezra, right, closes the book, the scroll, and he blesses God. It says that he blesses the great God. Now, this is kind of something that, that we talk about, but I'm not sure if all of us really know what it means. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Right, we, we know what it's like to be blessed, we want to receive blessings, but we sing songs, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'm not about to sing for you, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We bless the Lord. Wait, I thought God blesses us. How do we bless God? Well, the word bless here, it means to speak words of excellence about. That, that Ezra was worshiping. Ezra was saying, God is great and, and so on and so forth. And the people respond. Look there in verse 6. And they respond with an amen. Everyone say amen. amen. Now, I can tell you guys to say amen, uh, but, but it's, it's one thing for me to, of course, tell you to say amen. It's another thing for you out of your own free will to say amen. The idea of amen is something of agreement, right? When, when, when someone prays a prayer, and if you say amen after that prayer, it's as if that you've prayed that prayer, that you're in agreement. You're saying, yep, right on. I would have prayed what that person prayed. Uh, Now, if you don't agree, then you shouldn't say amen. It's literally translated, right? So be it. And when someone is speaking about the things of God, you can say amen because you're in agreement with what is being said. And this again just shows us that they were in this, this one place with the same motives for the same reasons. 
they wanted to seek the Lord. And we see them worshiping here. We see them lifting their hands, bowing their heads down to the ground. But what we need to understand is this is not what they were worshiping. They weren't worshiping the book, but the author of the book. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus had to rebuke the Pharisees because they were so consumed with the law, with what the book said, that they began to miss who actually wrote the book. And they began to actually be in a place where they were no longer in obedience to him who the book spoke about. And so Jesus said this, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. See, the Bible is important because it tells us about who God is. And the reason for so much respect and honor towards it was because, we, because they worshiped the one who it speaks of, but also for us. We worship the one to whom it speaks of. And so after the public reading, look there in verse seven and eight, and this is where it kind of all comes together. Uh, there were these other men, remember all those names I couldn't pronounce? Right? Those other men who were helping Nehemiah, they now go into the crowd because they, these were, right, there was many, many people there. And they begin helping them and explaining what was read. And essentially it breaks down to this. I want you to note it down, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. We see in verse 8 that they read distinctly from the book. The meaning is then explained. They gave the sense, meaning that they gave the meaning, the interpretation, and that then they helped them to understand. They laid out what it looked like. It is from this where we now get the understanding of how to read the Bible. There's other places as well. But the Bible is interesting because within its own contents, it gives us how it should be learned. And this is the format in which the word of God ought to be taught. In Nehemiah 8.8, 8, they read, they explained, and they brought it to life. That word distinctly, it means to be made clear, meaning that they read specifically and clearly from God's word. They didn't have a self-help book. They didn't have a commentary. No, they read specifically and distinctly from the word of God. From that, they then explained, they interpreted what the words that were spoken meant. And then finally, number three, they began to bring it to life. They helped the people understand. You see, from the time that we're reading right now, where these people gather together, they're wanting to seek the Lord. What, what do you have for us, God? There had been a thousand years. You might want to note it down. One thousand years from the moment that the law had been written originally. But from the time of Moses to the time of Nehemiah, there is a thousand year gap. And so the things that were being spoken, they had to be explained. They had to be brought into modern application. It's similar for, for us today, right? That the words of Jesus that we teach and that we learn about, the, the letters from Paul and even the Old Testament, 
uh, but specifically the New Testament, was written about 2,000 years ago. And so there has to be some, some historical context involved. And so that's why when the Word of God is taught, it needs to be then brought, and there needs to be a bridge from what it was back then to what it is now. Now, does that mean the meaning change? No, right? Number one and two never change. You should, there should always be the reading from what God has said. The, the meaning doesn't change 2,000 years later. The same thing that was written then means the same thing now. But the third thing, that's where it's, it's a help to understand. That's where the application comes in. This is Bible study basics, right? Observation, interpretation. What's the final one? Come on, guys. There we go. Application, right? Observation, interpretation, application. We see that contained in Nehemiah 8.8. Listen, you might not be going to this church the rest of your life. Shocker, I know. But you guys might be going somewhere else. So you might move. Some of you guys might get older and move. Uh, some of you guys just might want to go to a different church. Nehemiah 8.8, I want to be drilled into your mind and heart. Because whatever church you go to, you make sure that they are living Nehemiah 8.8. That when someone gets up there and begins to teach, they better have a Bible. If the man that is teaching does not have a Bible, get up and walk out and never go back to that place, okay? The Bible has to be first and foremost. Out of that, then it's explained, out of that application. Nehemiah 8.8 is the reason we do what we do here. Uh, it's one of the, there's other uh, supporting, of course, scriptures, uh, but this is what is called expository teaching or preaching. It's taking what the Bible says and presenting it in a way that is understandable. Second Timothy chapter two, verse seven, you can note it down. It says, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. God wants us to understand the Bible. He wants us to comprehend. You guys know what comprehension is? Right? Some of you guys have reading comprehension for English, and then you should groan. Right. I was waiting for some groans. Uh, reading comprehension in light of the Bible is one of the best things that can happen. And yes, there are practical things, but God is able to supernaturally give us comprehension of what the Bible says. But there is a precursor. There is something that we have to do beforehand, and that's give him our consideration. I wonder if sometimes we don't understand the Bible because we're not willing to put in the effort. We're not willing to put in the consideration. I wonder if sometimes we, we fail to really grasp what the Bible tells us, and, and there's this disconnect between what we hear and then what our lives actually look like. Because we don't put the word of God in its proper place. And I think we can all experience that disconnect at times. Where we hear God's word, we know what we're to do. But then we look at our life and it just doesn't look like it should. You see, the disconnect happens because the word of God is not in an elevated place. It's not in a place of authority in our lives. But it should be. And it should be something that we give that consideration. So uh, the people understood. They got it, okay? They, they began reading from the law and, it, and the light bulb began to come 
on, right? Secondly, you can note down uh, that, that there was rejoicing in the book. There was understanding in the book, uh, but then there was rejoicing in the book. But this didn't happen super quickly. Uh, we're going to see in verses 9 through 12, their initial reaction was actually not rejoicing, uh, though they get there. It was actually weeping. It was mourning, which is an interesting reaction. Look there at chapter 8, uh, verse 9. We're told that Nehemiah and Ezra and the, and the Levites, that after the word of God had been read, that they have to actually encourage the people, hey, don't cry. Hey, hey don't be sad. The people were broken. The people were wrecked over what they had heard. Uh, and why? The reason being was that they were overwhelmed by that feeling of falling short. They, they were overwhelmed with realizing that they missed the mark. That for years and years, that the people of God hadn't been doing what they were supposed to be doing, right? Jerusalem had been a desert wasteland. And so for years, they hadn't been fulfilling what God had asked them to do. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law brings the recognition of sin, of shortcoming. Right, without a speed limit sign, there's no knowledge of how fast you should be going. Like when I drove here to church today, I went through a, an area that was, had a speed limit sign of 45 miles per hour. If I was, not saying I was, but if I was going 55, the only way that I would know that I was breaking the speed limit, that I was going, breaking the law, was that sign. If, that, if, they, had if they take down all the signs in the city of speed limit signs, if you got a ticket, it wouldn't be right. Because the sign is then the expectation for that you know where you're doing wrong. Where if I got pulled over, I couldn't say there was no sign because there was a sign. Not that I was going 55, okay? Now, the law brings the knowledge of sin. And so as God's word was being read, the knowledge of sin was being realized, was being recognized. See, what they were experiencing was remorse. They were experiencing shame. They were experiencing guilt, something that all of us have experienced. But what's so interesting is that when Nehemiah realizes that they're all crying, they're all weeping, they're like, man, we're just like, we're just the biggest losers. What happens? Nehemiah actually begins to tell the people, hey, stop, don't, don't weep, don't mourn. And his reasoning, he says, this day is holy towards the Lord. Look there, verse nine and 10. He says that this day is holy to the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this is that this was to be God's day. That's what it means, to be holy to the Lord. It was to be dedicated and devoted. It was to be a day all about the Lord. And this tells us something, that God is not about shame and guilt, but God is about joy. All right, we need to hear this today. God is not about guilting and shaming us into obeying him. If there's someone in your life that tries to shame and guilt you into doing something, 
It's not from the Lord. That's not God's way of motivation to obey him. That's not, there might be a lot of way people, people manipulate, people use shame and guilt and, and all those types of things. God doesn't use them. And so Nehemiah says, don't sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is interesting. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to note this verse down, verse 10. Nehemiah 8.10, it is one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. And I love that it appears in what is, seems to me to be a random location, Nehemiah 8.10. Yet it's powerful for you and I in our own walks with the Lord. It wouldn't be shame, it wouldn't be guilt that would strengthen them to obey. God says No. It is the joy that God gives us that is our strength. That is the ability to keep us in the track of life that God has for us. That word strength, it means refuge. Uh, This is often in scripture, God is described as our strength, right? We see this in 2 Samuel 22, 33. God is my strength and power and he makes my way Perfect. Or Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Joy is something that God wants to give us when we experience the shame and guilt of falling short. Now, shame and guilt are very real feelings. That when we hear God's word and we hear where we have messed up, That's oftentimes the initial reaction. But God doesn't want to keep us in those feelings. He wants us to exchange those feelings. You guys know what an exchange is? Right, we just had Christmas, all the gift exchanges. God wants us to leave when we experience guilt and remorse and he has joy to give us. What's so incredible about approaching the Bible in this way is that as a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, you better get used to that feeling of conviction. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be often. God uses conviction, not guilt, not shame, conviction to bring us towards himself, right? Shame and guilt, basically those feelings make you want to go and just hide in a ball and, and be around no one. Conviction, godly conviction brings you closer to the Lord. Guilt brings you farther away from the Lord because you feel ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed before God because God says, come and let me exchange, let me take that feeling that you have and replace it with joy. But listen, this takes faith, right? Faith over feelings, So often we have to put faith has to be over feelings. You feel shame and guilt because of where, of what you've done. And that's where Satan wants you to stay. But God says, you come to me and I'll exchange it. And it's a good exchange. You're not going to get some weird white elephant gift. That this is going to be something you will want. And it is the joy of the Lord. And not only something you want, but it is going to be the very ability to give you the strength to obey him. Maybe some of you today, you're wondering in your own mind and heart at times, man, 
why is it so difficult to just live a life of obedience? And we all mess up. I'm not talking about perfection. But there's some of you that may think, man, I'm, I've just not been obeying him. And I just, I, I mean, I know why, but I don't know why. And I don't know how to fix it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not guilt. It's not shame that's going to motivate you to being a, an obedient follower of God. The strength is going to come from the willingness to exchange the feelings of mourning and weeping for the joy of the Lord. It is the joy of the Lord. It's not the guilt of the Lord that's your strength. It's not that he's trying to shame you into it. Aaliyah, you done? Okay, thank you. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength to live a life of obedience, right? And that's where our third and final point comes in. And uh, we didn't read it in our reading uh, just for the sake of time. Uh, But I'd like to summarize for you just this last little portion, this last little bit of the chapter. Verses 13 through 18. Okay, so the people understand the people's initial reaction was weeping, and then they begin to rejoice because they exchange those feelings. And Nehemiah says, No, this day is holy. This day is all about God. And God's not about guilt, He's about joy. And they come to a place where they now begin to put into action. And this is the big part where they're not just hearers of the word, but doers of what God has said. And so basically in this last portion, you can kind of scam, uh, scam, scan, there you go, scan through it, uh, verses 13 through 18 in your Bibles. But in in, in these last few verses, uh, basically what happens is that the elders of the people, the fathers, the heads, they get together and again, they open the book and they're like, okay, like let's get into this. And as they're kind of reading through it, they discover that in the very month that they're in, that they should be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles before. Uh, It is a feast in the Bible for the Jewish people. This is not something that we have to celebrate, uh, but this is something that Jews, even to this day, still participate in. And they realized that this was the month of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was basically a seven-day celebration a seven-day period where, very interestingly, the, the, they were commanded by God to gather sticks, uh, to palm branches, whatever they could find, and they were to build outside of their home or on top of their flat roofs, but not inside their home. They were to build these temporary dwelling places, kind of like a tent. It would be the same as if your family decided, hey, let's not sleep inside this week. Let's take a tent. Let's go in the backyard and we'll live in the backyard for a week. Now, it was kind of different, uh, but there was a purpose behind it. This week was to be a time of reflection for the people of God. They were to look back and think of that 40-year period where the people of God at that time had temporary housing, where they dwelt in tents. There was no permanence. And they were then to, as they reflected on that, they were to reflect on God's provision in their life, how they actually have houses. They are in the land that God had seen them through. And so we're told that basically word goes out to all the people and they get excited. Uh, I don't know about you, but it doesn't necessarily sound super exciting to me. Uh, But they were stoked because this was God's word. 
and they wanted to obey him. And so the Bible says that they get so enthusiastic about it, so passionate, and they go and actually do it. Like they don't just like do it for a night. They do it the full-blown seven days. They live in these temporary house things made of sticks and leaves, and they're stoked about it. No, notice in, I think it is in verse... Verse 17 at the very end, and it says, and there was great gladness. Like they were excited. The Bible says that they had not uh, done a feast like this since the days of Joshua, hundreds and hundreds of years before. So what, what's the big deal? When you start in this process and you give God's word the place that it should have in your life, and there's respect towards that. And there's the willingness to really listen. Okay, what does God want from me? And, and you exchange, you, you choose not to go with the feelings of shame, guilt, and remorse, but you exchange them with the joy of the Lord and you begin to obey him. Obeying him doesn't become a bummer. You see, in your life, if obeying God becomes something that's so difficult, so just you, there's, you want to do everything else but obey the Lord, then there's something wrong in the first two. Maybe the motivation is shame and guilt, and so obedience just seems terrible. And, and often it's a lack of understanding of the first one. Jesus said this to the disciples, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not just knowing what the Bible says, but doing them and listen, if, if you're doing it right, then there's joy. There is joy in obeying the Lord. There really is. I love, though, that the people, you know, I love how they were so excited to go build these booths and do something that no doubt was not normal, like, in their society. It's not something that they've been doing. So they, do, they did something that looked weird. They did something that was abnormal, but they didn't let their past failures determine their future obedience. Did you guys hear me? They didn't let their past mistakes determine their future obedience. Yeah, they messed up, but they saw what God had told them. And so they didn't let Satan keep them in the past, but they went forward to obedience. Revelation chapter three, verse five, last verse I want to share with you guys today is from Jesus to one of the churches who hadn't been doing so good in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> We're told here that he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. He doesn't say forget about what happened. He said, remember where you messed up and repent. Do the first works. Meaning, what was it that you were doing that was not in the obedience of God? Focus on that, the opposite of that. How, how then do I focus? Do the first works. Meaning, don't just push it under the rug. Don't just the, the whole, I'm going to forget. No, he actually says, remember, but do the opposite. We see a similar passage in the book of Ephesians when he says, he who stole, steal no longer. If you used to lie, but you know God's word says don't lie, then, then don't lie. And there's this, there's this remembering, but pushing forward. 
And so from Nehemiah chapter 8, we see the, the whole person and how the word of God affects the whole person. When under the teaching of God's word, the mind understands, the heart is to rejoice, and the will or the desires is to obey. And for us, we must bring our hearts, our minds, and our will under the teaching of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do thank you that you have not left us stranded to figure it out and hope the best. You've put up the speed signs. And Lord, we confess that there's times that we don't make it. We miss the mark. We still sin. Lord, we have your forgiveness, but there's times where we still mess up. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word as, as, the, as the bumpers on the freeway. That as we begin to veer off to the left or the right, we hear the ba-boom, 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 and we get back in our lane. Lord, we, we know, Lord, for some of us, and, and I confess, Lord, sometimes I need that little ba-boom to be louder. I need those, those, those bumpers, Lord, to be more significant. Because, Lord, I don't want to turn to the right or the left. I want to be right on the path that you have for me. And, Lord, the feelings of shame and remorse, regret, guilt. Lord, we know that those things aren't from you. That you want to exchange them for the joy of the Lord. Because you know that is what we need. That will be our strength to obey you. That will be our strength to live a life for you. Lord, you are our rock, our refuge. You, God, are our true north. And God, we confess our great need. And so, Lord, as we just continue to, to seek you and be under the teaching of your word, we pray that you just continue to guide us, continue to mold us and shape us, and make us into the men and to the women that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.